The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Jesus went out and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away from what is sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet such a person has no root, but endures only for a while. And when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word, and it yields nothing. But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. Today's gospel is the first of seven parables that appear in this chapter. Uh, parables are enigmatic. Uh, I don't think that we have any genre today that's quite like it. They're open-ended. Uh, rarely can they be uh, reduced to allegory. And when they are, it's tr- truly unfortunate because it makes it kind of flat and tasteless. We can't really get into the mystery of the parable if somebody explains every bit of it. And, of course, that's what happens in the second half of this reading. So a parable, I think we could think of as perhaps a riddle that uh, raises something before before us to cause us to question the framework within which we see the world, the way we interact with God, the way we interact with one another. The theologian uh, Robert Capon says that this parable is the touchstone of all the parables. He points out its primacy of place in all three of the synoptic Gospels and also the fact that it's included in the Gospel of Thomas. So clearly this is an important parable, something we need to pay attention to. Unlike most of the parables in Matthew uh, and really most of the parables anywhere in Scripture, This one is explained by Jesus. 
Now, uh, most contemporary scholars generally agree that uh, the interpretation of the sower was something that probably Jesus did not say, but perhaps was added either in the oral transmission of all of that before it was written down and then finally became a part of the written record or something that the church understood or that the writer of Matthew understood and wanted to be sure to present. But the problem it presents for us is that we start to hear that, that parable, only in terms of myself and what kind of soil I am. Well, perhaps it's not all about me. Now, as a, uh, an only child, I understand the struggle about it not always being about me. But it's so easy for us to get caught up with this question, what kind of soil am I? When in fact there may be other things we should be contemplating as we hear this parable. In fact, even in the interpretation that's provided in Matthew, uh, the words that are put in Jesus' mouth are these. Hear then the parable of the sower. So I think it's not about us and the kind of soil we are, although that's certainly one way to meditate on it. But I think it's really about God, the sower. These parables come immediately after Jesus has been rejected by the Pharisees and the scribes. In fact, they're already plotting to kill him. And it was uh, not easy in those early days of his ministry. We tend to think, I I believe, from time to time at least, that it all came together so easily for Jesus as he started that ministry after he called those disciples. But there were challenges. There was, of course, the challenge that came from those disciples of John the Baptist. There were the challenges that came from his own family. And he rejected them finally at, at the door, saying, this is my family. This, this congregation gathered, these are my people. So at the beginning, there was that struggle. It was not easy. And now uh, a crowd has gathered. They want to hear what Jesus has to say. And the crowd is so great that he gets in a boat and he goes slightly offshore in order to preach to them. The parable seems to say that despite apparent failures, the sower always succeeds. There is always success, always fruit is produced. There is always a harvest. For the disciples and for the early church, that must have been a very encouraging message because like that beginning of Jesus' ministry, there were many times that they were rejected. Uh, The Apostle Paul talks about how he was beaten and kicked out of synagogues. It was very difficult in the beginning of that ministry. So I think one of the things that certainly could come from this parable is a reminder that we must trust the sower for the harvest. In our arrogance, sometimes I think we often get caught up in the idea that we have to make it happen. As I was preparing this, a story came to mind, a situation that I experienced while working in the bishop's office in South Dakota. Part of my responsibility there was to find clergy to go to the missions on the, on the nine Indian reservations that we served in South Dakota. And as you can imagine, from time to time, that was difficult. The pay was minimal. Housing was barely acceptable. And the ministry was extremely difficult. It was almost always a crisis ministry. Well, there was one particular position that I thought would be very easy to fill. 
because the housing was in a community that was thriving and the uh, reservation communities were not that uh, difficult. But I simply could not find a priest to come to that particular community. I was so frustrated after a couple of candidates had fallen through that I went to Randy Barnhart, who is the administrator of the diocese, the layperson, and Randy and I would often commiserate about the difficulties we were having in each of our jobs. He had to try to finance and fund the diocese, and I had to find people to come to it. So I sat down in his office, and I, I told him that I had done everything I knew to do, and I could not get a priest to come to that uh, reservation. And I said, out of desperation, I said, it's time for God to do God's part. Now, my presumption in reminding God of God's duty struck us both uh, as a bit humorous. But uh, we laughed about it, and I went back to my office. And just moments later, the telephone rang. I picked up the phone, and on the other end of the line was a priest, I think he was in Texas, who said, you know, I just saw that ad about the uh, mission priest position you have. Is it still open? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> and he eventually came to South Dakota and he served there. And as I thought back on it, the sower had sowed the seed and the soil had received it and it bore fruit. But I couldn't do anything about it. Nothing that I did seemed to make a difference. In fact, it, it seemed that I had to let go of it and just simply say, God, you have to do it. I can't. I think that we need to keep in mind that the sower goes before us sowing the seed. The seed being the word, Jesus, the Logos. Christ goes ahead of us when we go to a home to visit someone. When a friend is sick and we reach out to them. When we go to the hospital to see someone in the hospital, Christ has already gone ahead of us. The seed has been sown and is for us, along with the one we're visiting, to discover the seed that has been sown. And then life can come to that seed and then faith can grow and be fruitful. I think that it may also be important for us to ask ourselves what paradigm or what uh, what framework does this parable bring to mind that, that we accept without question that perhaps we need to begin to question? And as I thought about that, I, I thought there are a couple of things that perhaps uh, come up in me at least. One is the, the paradigm of efficiency and of effectiveness. The parable presents the sower as this extravagant sower who throws seed everywhere. I'm sure that those who were uh, who were farmers, those who actually worked in the fields and and did sow the seeds uh, every year in the spring, when they heard Jesus tell this parable about this very strange sower who just threw seeds everywhere, they must have thought how extravagant, how wasteful. Brian Stoffergan, uh, a Lutheran minister who regularly offers reflections on the weekly lectionary, writes this: I attended a worship a workshop on stewardship. The leader made comments about wastefulness. The Old Testament rules regarding sacrifices didn't permit the worshiper to pull out the best steaks when they were medium rare. The whole animal was wasted, burned up as one's offering to God. And then he goes on 
The same might be said for setting aside 24 hours of Sabbath, a full day of rest without working. Isn't that wasting time which could be productive? The image of all of the wasted seed sometimes might appear to us as bad stewardship. Now, I want to be sure you know that I do not advocate for inefficiency and ineffectiveness in the church. In fact, we're very blessed to have a staff and to have a vestry who care very much about that. And good stewardship is a key part of that, how we steward the resources that we've been given. But I think the question about effectiveness and efficiency are are pertinent when it comes to evaluating ministry. Sometimes some ministry looks like a waste, like it's doing no good at all. And we put resources into it even. Again, I think of of clergy who serve in reservation communities where there's so much physical need, where people come, literally come to their houses day in and day out, asking for food or asking for money for gas. And some of us would look at that and say, giving money to that person who's going to go drink is not the right thing to do. It's wasteful. But over and over again, I heard priests on the reservation say, when they come, I give to them. I think that sometimes we measure our ministries with the wrong ruler. And perhaps the yardstick we need to be using is not effectiveness or efficiency, but rather faithfulness. How are we being faithful to the sower, to the one who has planted the seed? How can our ministries as a community of faith and individually be faithful ministries? I think there's another aspect to this that we should keep in mind, and it it at least is brought up for me as I meditated on that parable. And that is the the reality that uh, the word has to take root in my life and in yours if the gospel is to be proclaimed and heard by others. We must live this gospel. It's not a matter of eloquence of presentation. It's not a matter of how wonderfully we may present programs. If we do not live the gospel in a way that other people stop and think, Why is this person different? What is it about them that causes them to do such and such? If we don't live that word, that logos, then we will not be heard. You'll recall that the early followers of Jesus were referred to as the people of the way. The way was the way that Jesus lived. That's how we're called to live. And so this day, as we uh, reflect on this uh, very interesting parable, let us also ask ourselves, how has the seed taken root in our lives? And how do we live the gospel, the word, the logos? Amen.